Okay, we're going to start here on the top of Chav Gimel and Aleph by the two dots. I mentioned yesterday that we'd come back and take a quick look at some of the sugya that we ended off with yesterday, which is by Nashim Chayavot, Ben Erchanuka, Sha'afein Hayubot Oanes. The women are also included in Erchanuka because Afein Hayubot Oanes. We discussed yesterday what that means, the Machlokat and the Rishonim. What's interesting here is what are the implications for the Halacha when we do that? And it's going to feed into the next sugya. The next sugya is the sugya of Achsanai, is a guest in someone else's house. What does he do with Nerot Chanuka? As well as other items that we're going to see on today's daf, the Brachot, are all going to derive from the same basic question, which is, when we say that a woman is chayevet in Nerot Chanuka, what does that mean in the context of the Halachot that we practice? So, for instance, if you're only lighting one Ner for the household, Ner Yishu Beitol, then obviously there's no relevance to that, because no matter how many people are in the house, whether there's a whole family, whether there's just a husband, a husband, and a wife, you're just going to light one anyway. If you light based on the number of the members of the household, it would seem that the woman would be included as one of those numbered or enumerated in the household. If you light based on the number of household times the number of nights, that also seems to be pretty straightforward. The question really arises with Minog Ashkenaz, which is where everybody lights their own Chanukiah. So an instance where everyone lights their own Chanukiah, where does the woman fall in that perspective? Can the woman light her own Chanukiah? Or do we say, Ishtoka Gufo? And in Ishtoka Gufo, she has lit, along with her husband, they are considered to be a single unit. And in being a single unit, she cannot light independently of her husband. And the memra here of Afeno Yotones is an instance when her husband's not around, or where her husband's not lighting, then she would be acquired or obligated to light. So I know that Rav Willig believes that if a husband lights, that a wife may not light independently, and that it's a bracha levatala for a wife to light independently of her husband, because of Ishtoka Gufo, which is brought down in Aloha in Nerod Chanukah, in both directions, which is that if a husband lights for his wife, or a wife lights for the husband, then the other one may not light with a brocha. On the other hand, the Mishnah Brook brings down in the Ber Aloha, and Roshama Zaman also brings it in his Chuvot, that a woman, if she wants to, can make a bracha here like any other mitzvah that says she has man grama. So all of them ask, what do you mean, like any other mitzvah that says she has man grama? It's very grandma, the woman has no chiyuv, she decides to opt in, and therefore she makes a brocha. But when it comes to Nerod Chanukah, the Mahajan min Mahajan really says that every individual is independently chayav. And so why should the woman be any different than any other member of the household? So both of them say that the havami would have been ishtoku gufo. That's the havami. And the havami here is that the woman cannot create an independent chiyuv over here because of ishtoku gufo. And because of that, we would have thought that she can't light independently. Kamash Malon, that she can light independently. And so they both conclude that a woman can light, even when her husband is lighting, and she can make her own bracha on those nerot, mitoch, mehadrin, mehadrin, and obligate herself like she would do in their mitzvah to say, man grama. Here we have a machloket in the achronim as to whether a woman can independently light in the face of her husband lighting. But that also has implications more so on the remainder of the Gemara is how do we look at the Chiyuv of Nerot Chanukah? We say that there is an obligation to light Nerot Chanukah. What exactly is the nature of that obligation? There's two possibilities of what the nature of that obligation is. One is that it's a Chovra Gavra, that the individual is Chayav to light Nerot Chanukah. The other possibility is that it's Chovat Adar. It has to do with the bayit. It's a chovat bayit. It has to do with the house. The house is what generates the chiyuv. Someone, anybody who lights in the house can discharge that obligation. What we'll see today in the Gemara, and I'll point it out in different places, is that it's not clear. There's sometimes it feels like a chovat gavra. It's sometimes that it feels like a chovat hadar, chovat bayit. And so we have to try to come up with some way to reconcile between those and explain Nerot Chanukah. One of those questions will obviously arise with the woman lighting in the face of her husband. What does that mean? Is there a Chovat Gavra? Does she have an independent Chiyuv? Or is she captured under the Chiyuv of the Bayit? And since the husband represents the Bayit, so she can't separate herself out from her husband. Even though the Minag Ashkenaz, the Mahajim and Hajim, is that everybody lights independently. Maybe a woman doesn't have enough independent identity to do that. And that's what we just discussed here, about how they are captured by their husband's lighting. So now the Gemara continues, Amar of Sheshet. Achsanai chayav b'ner chanukah. A guest has to light Nerot chanukah. Amar of Zera. Meresh k'avina be'rav. Mishtatfana b'prite. Originally, when I was a young bachar, and I used to live by someone, I was boarding by someone to learn by the base magish, 
I used to make sure that I gave over money to the host or the hostess, whoever I was staying by. I used to pay them some money to be mitzvah, to join in their hadlakat neirot chanuka. But in after I got married, amina hashtavad yalotzurichna. I don't need to do this anymore. The kamadliki alai to go beitai because they're lighting for me in my house. So here you have some of that tension that we saw before. Originally, when he wasn't married, we said, okay, he has to light when he's at the guest house. When he's with the host or hostess, he's got to light. What's the obligation there? There it sounds like the obligation is chovat gavra. The individual is obligated to light. And since he's in someone else's house, in order to discharge that obligation, he'll have to join in or give them some money to be a part of their hadlakat neirot, to discharge his obligation. If you really believe that it was chovat or chovat bayit, why would he have to do anything? He's staying in their house. That house they're lighting in. He shouldn't have to participate at all. So the fact is, there it sounds like it's a chovat agava. The individual himself is obligated to do it. On the other hand, once he got married, he said, I'm not going to light anymore because my wife's lighting for me in the house. Well, that makes it sound like there is no obligation on the individual. It sounds like that's chovat abayit. And the fact that his wife is lighting in the house discharges his obligation of chovat abayit. Now, the aloha, it's very interesting what happens here. First of all, in terms of Achsanai, if he has a separate entrance, then he does light by himself, makes his brocha, he has to do it totally separately because of the same chashash or chashad that we've seen before, which is that when there are multiple doorways, and we're going to see it again today, that the possibility is that people think that somebody didn't light or somebody's living there and they didn't light. So there, there is an obligation to light. If you have a separate entrance, a separate location, then you would light by yourself. On the other hand, if you're a part of the household of the host or hostess, you're sleeping over there, you're eating by them, we don't have any separate quarters and living space, then you would join in with the host and hostess and you'd pay to be a part of their lighting. Now in terms of lighting at home, when the woman lights back in the house, what does that do to the husband? Once she is lit back at home, can the husband light separately? The same question we had before with the husband lit, can the wife now light? Now we're in the opposite scenario. The wife is lit in the house, can the husband light? It's machloket. The Taz brings down the machloket. There are those that say you may not make a bracha. It's a bracha of Atala now for the husband to make a bracha because he cannot identify himself separately because they lit for him back in the house. And when his wife lights in the house, he's done with his obligation. He may not light separately at this point in time in terms of a bracha. Obviously he can light, he just can't make a bracha on it. There are others that believe that you could make a bracha because Mahajrin min Mahajrin. How is this any different? They lit in the house. He wants to light over here. Why can't you make a bracha? So the locha, because of that self-fake, because of that issue, we always recommend that a person not make a bracha when they are a guest and they're lighting for him in the other location. He should not make a bracha. He should try to hear the brachot from someone else, from the balabait that's there, and that way he won't have that problem. Or the other options that are given, but these are not lachatchila, these are kind of bidi'evit types of suggestions. One is to opt out, to specifically state that he's opting out of the lighting in his house. The question is whether he can really do that. Does he really have the ability to opt out and say, I'm not a part of it, when it sounds like from here, and we've mentioned this before, that it's a chovat abayit. Once they light for him, what, how does he have the ability to opt out of it? It's not really his choice. But there was one suggestion is to opt out, and therefore he can make it separately with the bracha. The other option is to light prior to the time that they light in the house. If he lights prior to the time that they light in the house, then obviously his obligation has not been discharged yet. Even though later in the day they will discharge his obligation, nevertheless, since they have yet to do it, that maybe he can make a separate bracha. Rosh Zaman talks about that fact. What happens if you are in a different country, and they are lighting for you, for instance... You're in the houses in Eretz Israel and you're traveling to America. So now when they light in your house in America, it's still Erev Chanukah. It's not even time that you could light. Are you Yotze with that obligation? The Rav Shomazam says yes. That even in that scenario, you are Yotze because at the time that your household was lighting, that was the Zman Chanukah, and then you're Yotze with that and you could not make the bracha later. But you see this tension again playing out, this tension between Chobat Gavra and the Chobat Abayit about whether you can create independent identities separate from the house and the household. Right. I mean, obviously have to say that, that the Chobet Gavra is that there be candles lit in this location. The Chobet Gavra is necessarily to light candles. It's to make sure that there are candles lit in this location. That's how you'd have to phrase it. Now, the Gemara continues. Now, we jump over back to a little bit about the oils, which is Amar Levi. All oils are good for candles. 
And Shemen Zayid is the best. In the beginning, I used to, either I or when he refers to Mar, it's usually Rabbi Bar Nachmani. says, Rabbi, used to make sure to get this sesame seed oil. So Amar, hi, Mashach Nore Tveh. Rashi describes here, Mashach Nore Tveh is... It blows through the wick in a nice manner so it doesn't burn down. It'll last longer. After I heard what Rabbi Shubin Levi says, that he would make sure to use olive oil. That gives a better light. So whereas the Shemishka, the Shumshe, pulls into the wick nicely, but when we're talking about getting a clear, burning, nice light, that comes from Shemin Zayit. Now what's interesting here is what candles are we speaking about over here? When we say that all the Shmanim, are we talking about Neirot Chanukah? Are we talking about Neirot Shabbat? So if you look in Tosafot, it says, because he concludes that it has a better light, and that's what's important on Hanukkah. He says that it draws up the wick better than anything else. And everybody agrees that you can use Shemin Zayit. So Tozo says it's a given that Shemin Zayit is better for Shabbat. And there was no question because of the pulling on the wick. But over here it seems to be that the Gemara is making that distinction between Shem and Shum Shumei, which is Mashach Nohorei Tvei, that it, Rashi describes here, Mashach Nohorei Tvei is... It blows through the wick in a nice manner so it doesn't burn down, it'll last longer. Versus the clear burning of the Shemin Zayit. So if here you have a choice between, does it take longer, you can have the light last longer, or a Shemin Zayit, which is a clear flame. So Tosafot says, that's his decision. Should it last longer or should it be more light? In the end he decides that more light is important. But by Shabbat, the most important thing is that it moves through the wick smoothly, and that Shemin Zayit is the king. And therefore, there's no question by Nerot Shabbat. Obviously, you could argue that the whole Gemara here is speaking about Nerot Shabbat and nothing to do with Nerot Chanukah at all. And the same discussion. If it lasts longer on Friday night, it's better for you because then you won't have to move around, move the wick, do anything. Whereas if you're light, also maybe that gives the advantage. You're not going to have to be Shemayateh. So you could argue against the position of Tosafot, but just know that that is in general a problem throughout these sugyot here. The Gemara is jumping back and forth with Shabbat and Chanukah. It's not clear a lot of times whether they're discussing a din in Shabbat or they're discussing a din in Chanukah. So now we have another member from Shub and Levi, nothing to do with Neirot at all, which is Kol Shmanim, Yafim Lidzio. All oils are good for making ink. B'Shem Zayit Minamufkar. Shem Zayit is the best. When we say Shem Zayit is good for making the ink, the gavel, is that to mix it, to knead it, oh, to smoke it. Now, smoking it, as Rashi describes over here, he says that they used to light a fire underneath a glass utensil. You could do this, you know, when you have a candle. If you put anything above the candle, any glass utensil above the candle, it darkens, it becomes blackened from the ash that comes up from the flame. So what you do is you put that glass utensil there, you get the black on it, then you scrape that off afterwards, that black ash, you scrape it off afterwards. Then Rashi says you mix it also with shaman, zayit, you mix it together with shaman zayit, and that's what they were adding to the dio. So that's the Gemara's question over here, is it the gavel? Is it simply the oil being used to mix, to put a liquid into the ink? We saw before earlier that they used to mix the ink, the ink came in a dry form, and then you had to water it down, or you had to liquefy it, so you use the shaman zayit to do that. Or, are we talking about shane, which is, the blackened substance that's added to dough is that involved with either the possibility it was using shemen zayit, you were burning shemen zayit to make that ash, or again, that you, when, you, when the ash is made, you also mix it with shemen zayit. Rashi brings down both. So that's the question here. Tashma, the tiny of Shemuel Barzutra, Kol Shemanim, Yafim Lidyo, Shemen Zayit, Mina Mufkar, Ben the Gavel, Ben the Hashem. Doesn't matter. Either way, Shemen Zayit is the best oil to use in any of these instances, whether it's to mix, to liquefy the Ink or to lashain is to get that smoke to get the ash from a fire burnt with olive oil. All ash or all smoke is good for the Yovishemzaid He says it explicitly with regards to Lashain. All gums are good for ink. And the balsam gum is the best of all of them. So sap or gum of the balsam tree is the best for the mixture in the deal.
There go the first thing. If you like Nero Chanukah, you have to make a bracha. Someone who sees Nero Chanukah has to make a bracha. So this is an innovation in Nero Chanukah. It's an amazing innovation. We'll have to discuss it. What the Rishonim say about that? We'll come back in one second to discuss this. But there seems to be two separate dinim here. There's a din of Adlaka, you make a bracha on lighting Nerot Chanukah, and there seems to be another din, which is that if you see Nerot Chanukah, you have to make a bracha. The question, obviously, is what's the interplay between these two dinim? Are they two separate mitzvot, or is one subsumed under the other? So now the Gemara continues. Amar Yehuda, Yom Rishon, on the first day, Aru Emevarech Bet, Madik Mevarech Gimel. One who sees Nerot Chanukah makes two brachot, Umadik Mevarech Gimel. And someone who is doing the actual Adlaka they wrote, he makes three brachot. Mikan ve'elech madik mevarech shtayim, the one who lights makes two brachot, v'ro'eh mevarech achat, and the one who sees it makes one bracha. Zman mayit, which bracha is he leaving out? V'mayit zman, leaves out shechianu. So on the subsequent days, why you drop one bracha is because on the first day you make shechianu, the subsequent days you don't make a shechianu. It says, v'nimot neis, say, why don't you drop alanisim? So Gemara says here, Nase, koyome ite. Nase, every day is a miracle. As Rashi explains over here, obviously this goes back to the question about why are there eight days of Hanukkah, not seven days of Hanukkah. Why is there a Nase on every day? So all those Torah that are said about it, here the Gemara says it almost explicitly, that each day was a Nase. As Rashi says that the Pach Hashem and Koyome Ite, Shari Kol Pach. All eight days were lit from that Pach Hashem. It's not clear from Rashi whether that means that they put the whole pach in the first day, and then it continued to light for the eight days, or they meted out a portion of the oil from the pach each day, and it continued to light for the entire time that it was supposed to light. You see here that there is a nis every day that will require al So my mevarech, what is the bracha? So we already saw this part of the bracha already, which is merech asher kedishanu mitzvah david zivanu, ladlik ner shel chanukah, vehechan zivanu. Where are we commanded to do this? Ravavi amar milota suer. There is a requirement not to violate or disregard the words of the Chachamim. Rav Nechemia, Amar Rav Nechemia says, So the idea that there is a Mesorah, that each one should ask those that came before them what the Mesorah is, and you must respect and heed the Mesorah. Rav Amram, Rav Amram questions over here, Hadmai. When it comes to Dmai, Dmai is Tevel, where we're uncertain as to whether the Trimot and Masro were taken off. Produce of an Amaretz, where we're not certain if he took off Trimot and Masrot. Ma'arvinbo or Mishtatvinbo. One can use it for an Eruf, here, whether it's an Eruf Chatzirot, whether it's an Eruf Tukumin, or Mishtatvinbo, that's a Shituf Mivaot. You can use this food, these items for that. Umivarchimalav, and you can make a bracha on it. What bracha is meant by Mivarchimalav? It's two opinions. Rashi says Hamotzi. But there are many that believe that it's Birkat HaMazon. Um is Zamnim Elav. And you can also make a Zim on it. Not only can you say Birkat HaMazon, you can make a Zim on it. Um Afrishin Oto Arum. And you can separate it. When you take off the Trumat Masrot from the Demai, you can do it naked. Um Ben Hashmashot. And you can even do it Ben Hashmashot going into Shabbat. Because it's all a Safek. All these things are a Safek. Because of the Safek, we allow you to go ahead and do these items. We're going to have to explain them. Let's understand that when you're talking about Tevel, that is Tevel Vadai, Mishnah Brachot already told us, if you have Tevel Vadai, you cannot make a bracha on it. You cannot make a zimun on it, because it's Isur. And if you engage in Isur, you're not allowed to make a bracha. Then we say, but, that Hashem does not interested in a bracha that is done on something that is unpleasant, something that is disgusting, which is a violation of the Torah of Tevel. So if it's Vadei Tevel, none of this would be allowed. That's number one. Number two is in terms of making a bracha, we know that when it comes to something that's Vadai, we make a bracha. Something that's a suffix, we don't make a bracha. So here we have Demai, you're going to be mafrish the Jumot, the Masrot. We don't know if you're really Chayav. Do you make a bracha or do you not make a bracha? So when it's a suffix, in general, we don't make a bracha. The Gemara is going to discuss this in one second. The other thing we said here is that you can use it for an Eruv and Shituf Mivot. The reason for that is that the Chachamim said that Dmai can be eaten by Aniim, can be given to the Aniim or to the Chayel, to the troops. There, Machlokim, it can be given to the Jewish troops or non-Jewish troops, but you can give Dmai. Chachamim gave a dispensation within Dmai for that. So then, 
one can technically make themselves into ani by by disowning anything that he has in his possession. By doing that, he'll become an ani and be permitted to eat the demai. So because of that, he can use it for Eruv and Shituf, because technically he could eat it without any problem, because he can make himself into an ani. So that's the rules here that we're working with in terms of demai. Gemara here wants to know, If you say every din derabanan requires a brocha, we just said that before. clearly a din midrabanan. And we're saying, Asher Kedishanam is Tavitzivan, and we make a brocha on it. If he's naked over here when he's mafrishit, he can't make a brocha. We have a requirement. You have to keep your machanech kadosh. And therefore, a filub dibor, that's about a shame, lo That even when you speak with the shame Hashem, you can't be naked. You can't be mafrish. Shemot and make a bracha on when you're naked. So what's the obvious implication? You're not making a bracha over here. Why aren't you making a bracha? It's a dinder abonah to be mafish, true to melot masrod, mi demai. So rabbi, vaday mi divrayem bai bracha. This is what we said before. If something is a halacha, psuka, definitive halacha mi derabanan, then you're going to make a bracha. Sofik di divrayem lo bai bracha. When you have a sofik, you're not going to make a bracha. So over here, the reason that the institution, the Rabbanan, is put in place is because of a safek, then you're not going to make a brach on it. It's true right away. The Gemara asks the question, by Yom Tov Sheni. The safek did The whole reason of keeping Yom Tov Sheni is a safek mi because one day is chol, one day is not chol. And today, for sure, it's min al-gabotem It's not all done mi derabanan. Ubayi brocha. And requires a brocha. Gemara says, ha, tam that's done to protect against the zilzul and the Yom Tov. Imagine you had Yom Tov Sheni, you couldn't make any brachot. Everybody says, it's really not Yom Tov Sheni anymore. So we make brachot in order to ensure the keeping of the character of the day. Rav Amar, interesting, Rav Amaretz Masrinhein. Rav says that Rav Amaretz are Masrinhein because the Rav take off Shemotu Masrot. That's the reason that we don't make a brachot. But, Mikar Adin, Rav would believe that Savik Midivrayim by bracha. That Savik Midivrayim does require a bracha if they institute it. I mean, not if you have a Savik Dirabanan. But if the institution Dirabanan is based on a Savik, you would make a bracha. The only reason that we don't do it here is because Rova Mayaret Masrimheim. And Rashi says here, Demai, I feel a Savik Lohavi, Elohumra Ba'alma. So Rashi says that Demai is not really a Savik, it's a Chumra Ba'alma because Rova Mayaret are Masrimheim. We discussed this back on Dr. Gimel and Aleph, and just point out that Tosfo views Demai a little differently than Rashi over here, which is that in Rov, you can have two types of Rov. You can have a Rov which is 51%, 60%, which is a just over the threshold. Or you can have a Rov that is, there are different ways to express it, which is something like a 90% Rov. So over here, Rashi seems to be indicating, and the way he's reading the Gemara is that Rov Amirat Masrimim, it's like an 80-90% Rov. It's a very high Rov. And therefore, there's no reason to make a bracha because the institution is a very, very chumra ba'almo. It's not a real institution because you really didn't have to do it. The chumra just wanted to make sure that we were all good. Tosafot, back on Yudgimom and Aleph, says, why are we mafrish off of demai? Because he says, zamiyot hashchiyach. says, that's why we, when it comes to demai, we're mafrish. Because it's not a real rove. It's like a 50% rove. So that's an interesting dynamic here between what Rashi is explaining here, what seems to be a super rove, and the Tosafot back there saying the whole reason we're mafish is because it's not a super rove, it's a just over the threshold rove, and then it's a miyot hashchiyach. It might be that Rashi is only saying this in Divrei Rova, and in saying it in Divrei Rova, but he would agree with Tosafot when it's not. That's Rova's opinion, but everybody else believes that it's not a rove muchlat like that, it's a lower form of rove. Right, that's important to understand. The two things that we have to address over here which are very important. Number one is the issue of Lotasur. And the issue of Lotasur says that when you have a Dindarabanan, that means that I have a Dindoraita. And sure enough, the Rambam, when he brings this halacha, he codifies this halacha. It says, Apiyah Torah Shirucha, Vamishpada Shayyumu Lechata said, Lotasur, Menadavar Shayyumu Lechata, Minus Small. You have to listen to the Chachamim. So the Rambam, in his Sefer Mitzvot, in Shorish Aleph, this is the first thing he addresses. He's upset at the Geonim and others that counted in their Sefer Mitzvot, Mitzvot de Rabbanan. says there's no way you can count Mitzvot de Rabbanan as one of the 613 Mitzvot de Oraita. It's not a Mitzvot de Oraita. So he says, There are many people who made a mistake. They put those in as part of the count of Mitzvot de Oraita, the 613 Mitzvot. He says, those are not Mitzvot de Oraita. You can't count them. What caused people to do this? 
מברכים על אלו דברים, אשר קידישנו מצטב וציוונו, על מקרא מגילה. ולהדגנר, לגמור את ההלל. We make a bracha אשר קידישנו מצטב וציוונו, that's what caused them to make this bracha. וציוונו sounds like, there's a mitzvah to do this, and that's the case. ושאלת התלמוד, and the Gemara's question, שבת חב גמל, he's quoting our Gemara, היכן ציוונו, ואמרו מלא תסור. ואם איתם זה מנו אותם, הנה ראוי שימנו כל דבר שהוא מידי רבנן. If that's the case, you should count every mitzvah de Rabbanan. Anything the Chachamim say, anything they warn you of, Moshe Rabbeinu said, you have to keep it. So the Rambam believes that every mitzvah de Rabbanan is really a mitzvah de Rabbanan. Moshe was tzivat Sinai to listen to the Chachamim, and therefore it is a mitzvah de Rabbanan. He disagrees with those who count them as mitzvot de oraita, but he does agree that every mitzvah de rabbanan, really in the end, is under a mitzvah de oraita of lotasur. The Rambam and Hilchot Mamim also brings down the same din, but the Ramban and his Aksogot on the Rambam are right away jumps on it and says, how could it be? Like Josh is saying, the issue is what about a suffix? Well, we know that there's a din. Suffix de oraita de chumrah. Suffix de rabbanan de kula. If you really believe like the Rambam, that every safek in the Rabbanan is really end up being a safek doraita, because lotasur, every Rabbanan really ends up being a doraita. And if you have a safek, then it should be a safek Rabbanan la chumrah, because it really turns out to be a safek doraita. But the Ramban is against this position of the Rambam. He says that you cannot be megader, you cannot give a din derabbanan and claim that it's a doraita, because then you run into this problem. He mentions other things that are issues with, in terms of this explanation. So everybody has to explain. Oh, so that's very good. So that's what, what the Kobach Yurim asks. Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman asks exactly what Shoal is asking, which is, the Ramban in the end agrees that there's a mitzvah to listen to the Beit Dinagadol, to listen to the Chachamim. So even the Ramban has to deal with the issue. One of the individuals to give the answer is the Meshach Chochma. The Meshach Chochma said that he felt obligated to defend the Rambam, even though he says, I need Tachat Raglei Haramban, but he really felt that there has to be something said. And so he says that Lotasur is a din in Begida. It's sur in rebelling against the Divrei Chachamim. Din is that you may not violate what the word of the Chachamim. What the word of the Chachamim is, that doesn't matter. So there are two separate issues. You have a Mitzvah Drabanan. The Mitzvah Drabanan inherently, that is a din Drabanan. Nothing to do with the din Doraita. There's a separate din that you must listen to the Chachamim, which is the din do raita. So when I look in capsulation, if I look in just at the mitzvah itself, the mitzvah itself is a suffix derabanan and a suffix derabanan le kula. If I look at the question of merit, nek neged the Chachamim, that's a din do raita. So if I violate the mitzvah derabanan, then I've rebelled against the Chachamim, I've violated the do raita. But the mitzvah itself, everybody agrees, the mitzvah itself is a din derabanan. It's just a question of, if I don't listen to the Chachamim, what am I in violation of? Then I may not be in violation of a Durabana, I may be in violation to a Raita. So the Safek over here, it's clear when you're in a Safek, you're not being morate. You're not rebelling against the Chachamim. A Safek leads to a problem where I don't know what to do. When I don't want to do, I'm going to opt out of doing that. I'm going to go to Kula. When I say the Kula, it's not that I'm rebelling against the Chachamim. I have to make a decision, and that decision is to go to Kula. So that's the way the Meshachochum explains the Rambam. The Kovit Shurim, Rabbi Chaim Rasman quotes from Rabbi Chaim, says, my Rebbe, Rabbi Chaim says, and Rabbi Chaim says this in the Ramban, not in the Rambam, in the Ramban, that the Feish Gat Rabban, Ein Amishin Nisavinu B'Sinimah Lishmoa Divrei Chachamim, Vavor Al Divreim Over Al Tzivoy Azeh, Vain Bahem Isur Mitzad Atzman. Ludugma, Shvut, De Divreim, Ein Bahem Midoraita Isur Shabbat Klau. Chen Shniyot Doraita. If you violate Shvot de Rabbanan, which is that there are Isurim on Shabbat that you have to do me de Rabbanan, if you violate that, you're not in violation of Shabbat, you're in violation of Lotasur. So it says that's the difference. It sounds almost identical to what the Meshachachma is suggesting in the Rambam. That's what Rabbi Chanan says in the shame of the Ramban. Because he asks your question, which is, doesn't the Ramban have to deal with the fact that there is Lotasur? So he explains the Ramban that way. It's basically, in a greater sense, the difference between a Gavra and the Chepzah. Which is that when it comes to mitzvah doraita, they are a din in the chetzah. They're a din in the object itself. There's an objective reality to that object. For instance, chazir. You eat pig, the item is chazir. Now, if you have a suffix, you still have a suffix whether the item is chazir or not. You have to make a decision. So, mitzvah doraita, this chetzah is chazir. 
If it's, we know for certain it's chazir and you can't eat it. If it's a safek, the safek still is whether this object is chazir or not. When it comes to a dinder abanan, the dinder abanan is imposed on the gavra, not on the chetza. The rabbanan said you may not eat this item. Is this item inherently isur? The answer is no. The item is not asur. The achamim made you asur to eat this item. So then when you come to a safek to eat the item, if I look at the item, it's safek. It's not a safek in the isur. The item itself doesn't have any safek in it. The item inherently is mutar. The only safek is about your relationship to that item. So in that case, the safek we say goes to kula because the rabbanan didn't change the status of that. And the chetz itself remains mutar. The only question is, are you moreid against the chachamim? That's a gavra issue. So when it's a safek, that's not called merit. That's not called not listening to the chachamim. So that's the way the rabbanan answers for the ramban. That's the way the meshachovim answers for the rambam. Then the Rebbe also brings an additional answer. He wants to separate. He says, That when that's a different issue, a different item, almost completely separate. So, Therefore, there's no connection to the Yisra whatsoever. That what the Chachamim say and do is not connected to the mitzvah, they're two independent issues. It sounds, it's hard to understand what he's saying or how it's different from the previous answer. But then he brings down that others. He says, Other people explain the Rambam. Which clearly would not work for the Rambam. I know made this conditional. This is what Shaul was suggesting before. The Ramban said that he doesn't like this, he doesn't agree with this. But that's how they explain the Rambam, which is that when the Rambam, when the Chachamim instituted their halachot, they only made it halacha when it's a vada. They didn't make it halacha when it's a safek. When you have a safek, then the halacha doesn't buy. Please then you read the safek the Ramban mutar betarte betorat vada. That a safek the Rabbanan is not because it's a safek, it's mutar. A safek the Rabbanan is mutar vadai. Because the Chachamim never instituted their halacha there. That's how you'd have to express it for the Rambam. Those are different ways to deal with their Rambam and to deal with this halacha. But it comes out of our Gemara. This halacha comes directly out of our Gemara. That's number one. The second thing that we have to deal with is the issue of haro'eh. How does ro'eh, someone who sees Nerot Chanukah, have to deal with one who is madlik Nerot Chanukah? So what is the bracha? Basically the question really is, is what's the bracha of Alanisim? Because that's the bracha that survives in both cases. The halik Nerot Chanukah you can only make when you've lit the candles. Obviously, you can't make that bracha when you see the candles. So what does that mean? That Shalasanisim is also made when you light the candles, and it's also made when you are away, when you see the candles. So what's the interaction between If you know you're going to light later on that day, what does that mean in terms of Shalasanisim? You see candles on your way home. Should you make the bracha Shalasanisim? And then when you get home, you light and you make it without the bracha. Or knowing that you're going to light, you should put the two together. Right? That would be one question. The other question is, the bracha shasanisim is it really only connected to seeing candles, or is it a din in the day of Chanukah, equivalent to zman shachianu that we say on Yom Tov, which is that it's a birkat zman, it's a bracha on the day itself, not a bracha on the neirot. We just say aro neirot because that's the impetus for saying the bracha, but maybe it should be independent of anything that it's a din in the Yom Chanukah, not a din in neirot Chanukah. So that's another possibility. The way it's written up in Masechtu Tano, Masechtu Sofrim. In Masechtu Sofrim, when it quotes a log, it says, Amadik Omer, President of Mitzvah Kiyando, Amadik Omer, Sibano Alik Ner Shochanuka, Umadnev Omer. And then he continues, Haneru Talalu Anu Madikim. Then, afterwards, then he says, Shechianu and Shasanisim. So the way Masechet Sofrim lays it out is, there's Amadik Ner Shochanuka, then there's Haneru Talalu, then only afterwards you make a bracha Shasanisim and Shechianu. Very interesting. Right? Then it says, Ro'eh. Right? Then the Ro'eh makes the bracha. That's when it brings in the din of Ro'eh. In Shotot Ravachai, when he quotes the Locha, he says, when the day that has a miracle that happens to Kleisel comes around, you do it on the candle. But you see that the impetus based on the Shilto, what's the bracha? The bracha is on the Nyom Shinasabones. Happens to be that we connect it to Nerut Chanukah. That's similar to Shechianu on Yom Tov. The Gemara in Eruvin says, first can make Shechianu, Birkat Azman in the Shuk. You walk into the Shuk as Yom Tov, you can make a Birkat Shechianu. Chamim were Kavuot to Alakos. They made it that the proper time to do it is Alakos when you're making Kiddush, coming into the Yom, that's the proper placement of it. But not that you can't make it independently. That's almost what it sounds like from the Shilto. There's a din of Shasan Isim on Chanukah. The Chamim were Koveya that you make it Ala Neirot. But if you don't have the Neirot, it sounds like possibly you could make Shasan Isim independent of that. 
So now we have Tosafot and Sukkah says the Shar Mitzvot. We go in a lulav Sukkah. Lo takinu leverech l'roet. They didn't make a berachah l'roet. And we got me near Chanukah only by near Chanukah. Why? Mishum chavivat anes. As far as the answer is Mishum chavivat anes. So if that's the case, then it really would be connected to near Chanukah. Because there, the Chavita Neis is really revolves around the Neirot themselves and the, the Neis Pachashemen, uh, and they would really be connected not to the Yom, but really to the Neirot Chanukah. But then he says, brings a second answer. People don't have houses. And then they can't do the mitzvah. So there, Tosu makes it sound like it's a bracha that has nothing to do with Neirot Chanukah. It's a bracha which is about the Yom Chanukah. Since they don't have a house, they're not going to light candles, and therefore they need to make a bracha of Asanisim. Then he ends and he says, I don't love this answer. Why? It's better to look tikshalei mezuzah. Otherwise, mezuzah would probably be a problem. Because mezuzah is a chobar abayit, chobar adar, and if you don't have a house, you can't do mitzvah and mezuzah. So why isn't there a bracha on a roi and mezuzah? Tosot says, because of that, I favor the first answer. But obviously you can differentiate, and that's part of the problem. Tosot here clearly says that if you think that it's chobar adar, chobar abayit, Again, this is that tension we saw before between whether the mitzvah is really a chobat abayit or a chobat uh, gavra. The Rashba says, Mistavra, Mishlohi dik, Velohi diku Allah betok betol. If he didn't light, and he didn't light from his house, Veinu atidad dik halayla. He's not going to light any time this night. That's when he makes a bracha on Halav hachi, ein tzarich levarich. Should not make the bracha on aroeh. Velo matzina yotzei min ha-mitzvah v'chozer mevrech al ha Nobody says that you're doing this mitzvah and then you make a bracha separately on the re-iyah. V'yesh miravuta. There were these chachamim, d'pershut, afal pishim ad-klina la betoch beito, tzarich levarich al ha-riyah. Shol's question, exactly. They light for him at home, then he should just make bracha on aroeh wherever he is. V'ein lehem amash yismochu. He says they have no legs to stand on. There is no way that that is true. It can't be that the Birkat Ariyah is separate from Birkat Adlaka. If they made the Birkat Adlaka for you in home, you can't do a Birkat Ariyah wherever you are. The only way you can make Birkat Ariyah according to the Rashba is if there's no Hadlaka in your life. Meaning that you're not going to light, nobody lit it for you, and you haven't lit yet. Otherwise, there's no way you can do Birkat Ariyah according to the Rashba. Who's he referring to? He's referring to the Miri. Listen to the Miri. The Miri says, Then he makes a bracha. He knows he's going to do the bracha later and he doesn't do it. He knows he's going to do the bracha later and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Some people say if they light from at home, he doesn't have to make birkat I don't think that's right. So Miri clearly says, he thinks that you have to make a birkat when they're lighting for you at home. This is what I said before. If he can't light. And he's going to be in a place where he won't see any candles. Miluim. This is exactly the question. People go out in Miluim. They're out in the Sadeh. They're not going to have a chance. They're lighting. They're not going to see lights. There's no way lighting at home. They're single men. They're out. Then, Yeshomrim. Shemavrech latzmo. Sha'asa nisim. V'shechiyanu belayla rishona. No candles. Nothing. That's Birkat Ayom. Birkat Azman. That's exactly what we were describing. But he's getting it from a second Sufrim, which is that it seems to be those brachot are independent of the lighting. So, Bechol Elot. Ubadarim nirim. He says you can do the Sha'asa nisim every night. And he thinks that's correct. So the Miri has two chidushim here, two tremendous chidushim. One is that you make birkat even though they're lighting for you at home. And number two is that birkat which is not really birkat in the end. It's a brach alayom. We want to connect it to the candles. But if we don't connect to the candles, you still make the brach of Shazan Isim and Shechiyanum. And that's the question that comes up. What happens on the second night of Chanukah? And the first night they didn't light. Or they made a birkat on the first night. When they light on the second night, do they make a shechianu? Because is it a different mitzvah? Is a loka separate from riyah? If you made a shechianu on the first night, was that shechianu enough to cover the loka on the second night? Or is a loka totally independent mitzvah? Again, it will relate to this. With loka, we break like the rashba. We don't separate the riyah from a loka. A loka is the governing body here. And only when there's no loka do we say riyah. Mishnah Brewer brings down the yesh poskim to sabre after the deish malik and alavido came into batzmoyin malik. And he doesn't join in with the Balabai, that he does make a riyah. Says, it's not worth doing it because it's a Suffolk Brachot. You have the Rashba versus the Miri, it's a Suffolk Brachot. Don't do it. That's what the Mishabura says. And he brings the Sharat Zion exactly what he thinks the Da'at the Miri is, that it's like Birkat Shechianu on Yom Tov, that it's Birkat Azman on Yom Tov. Rav Salvechik Zatzal quoted in the name of his father and then in the name of his grandfather also. And this is what he thinks happened in Masechet Sofrim. That every madlik is also a roe. When you light your own candles, you also see your candles. 
And that's exactly what's going on in the second Sufrim. Second Sufrim says, make the brachal adlik ner shel Chanukah, then say aner then you make bricha trasa nisim and shafiyanu. Why? Because now you're ro'eh, your own candles. You see your own candles and you're making a bracha as a ro'eh there, not as a madlik. So every madlik incorporates within it re'iyah. But first of all, that would explain why you don't make bricha re'iyah separate from being madlik because even as a madlik, you're also a ro'eh. And therefore you make the bracha as a bricha ro'eh. And he says that was a minog and brisk he brings from his father that what they used to do is they light. Not on the first night, you can't do it, but after the first night, they light the first candle, say an and then they would make the bracha of alanisim and shechiyanu and then light the other candles. Mean that they, up to the eighth candle, meaning that you could make the bracha all the way up to the eighth candle. That was their practice that they did that. Right? Exactly. The method says they would separate between bricha loka and the bricha shasanisim. Now he clicks it also to the fact that there are three mitzvot that are pesumen nisa. I mentioned this before that are connected together, which is nerot chanukah, arba kosot, and mikra megillah. In all of these instances, there's a requirement of a sipur to explain the nes. By mikra megillah, it's kriyata megillah. In Arba Kosot, it's the Haggadah. What do you have by Nerot Hanukkah? And he believes that's why Nerot Alalu is the explanation of the Nes. And that's why it's important to say a Nerot Alalu after you've lit the first candle and say a Nerot Alalu to explain the Nes. And then, before you light the other candles, you can say Shas Anisim. Because in that context, that's when you can make the Baruch Right? It's a very interesting outcome of this. But that's to deal with the Birkat Aroeh. Continue in the Gemara. I'm Ravuna. A chatzir that has two doorways requires two candles. Now, Rashi, again, you have to know this. Rashi is going to read this. We said this is the third time we're going to have a machlok Rashi and Tosafot. Rashi clearly here believes that what's going on here, chatzir sheyesh lo bet p'tachim, sheyesh lo bayit bet p'tachim tuchim b'chatzir. Rashi reads that means that the house has two doorways into the chatzir. We're not talking about a chatzir that has doorways out to the Rishut Rabim. We're talking about a house that has into. Rashi always thinks you light outside the door of the house, not outside the chatzir. And then Tosafot always thinks we're talking about the Chatzar. Tosafot back on Kafala from Bed brought this as his Raya that we're talking about the Chatzar. Because here, look, the Gemara says we're talking about two doorways in the Chatzar. That's this is Tosafot's Raya that we're talking, always talking about the door of the Chatzar. And so Tosafot, the most important thing is the Shutta Rabim. You have to light in the Shutta Rabim. Whether that's the door of the Chatzar, the door of the Bayit, that's where you got to be. So here, this Machloket persists. Here, this is the third time we've seen that Machloket. So your Chatzar Sheshavu Bed Betachim Tzuchach Shtei Neirot. Rabbi Mar Lo Amran Ela B'Shtei Ruchot. That's only true if it's on two directions, meaning you can't see both doorways on the same side. Avam Ruach Achad Lo Tzarich. If they open up into the same side, again, according to Rashi, the house, both doors open up to the Chatzar on the same side, or according to Tosavot, the Chatzar opens up to the Shutta Rabim on the same side, you don't need it. My time What's the reason? Ilay Mishum Chashto. If you think, because it's a problem of chashad, people think you didn't light Nerot Chanukah, then over here, chashto deman. What chashad are we talking about here? Ilayma chashad alma. we're worried about people coming out of town. They come and they see a house here, what are they going to think? Rashi says, what are they going to think? That the house really is divided in half, and there are two families that live here, and one family is not lighting the Nerot Chanukah. Afil achad, Even on one side, you have that problem, because they don't know how many people live here, they don't know anything about information here. If you're talking about the people of the city, then they know that one family here. You don't have to worry about it. They won't even need it from two sides because they know there's only one family living here. So they know if you lit on one side, that's why you didn't light on the other side. It's because of the chashad of the people of the city, even though they know there's only one family in this house, that there's only one family in this chatzar, whatever it is, there's no reason to light in both places. But, what's the problem? There are times that they will see one entrance and not the other. And this will be their conclusion. Just like he didn't light on that side, he didn't light on this side. I mean, they don't say both doorways. So if it's on one side where they can see both doorways, there's no question. They can see the other one's lit and then there's no more chashad. But it's on two different directions, then there's chashad because maybe he'll pass by one doorway not see the other one and say, oh my gosh, this guy didn't light candles. How do we know that we worry about other people's suspicions? Let's just say, it's his problem. He wants to suspect, I know I did the mitzvah. There are four reasons why you have to leave peah at the end of the field. Number one, the Gemara will go through each of these. So because of stealing from aniyim, because of leaving the aniyim idle, because of suspicions about the individual, which is the mitzvah peah. So the Gemara will ask about in a second, you're not allowed to wipe out the edge of your field. 
So mipnei gezlanim. What does it mean? You know, me not steal from the anim. Shelo yireh balabayit shapnuya. You shouldn't see that there's a time where nobody's around. Viomar lekrovo ani harizupeya. Says, come here. You're my relative. I'm making this into peya right now. We know that when it comes to these types of matnot anim, the balabayit does not have a schut netina. When it comes to Maiser Ani, when it comes to Chuotamas throat, the owner has the right to determine who he gives it to. When it comes to Paya, Leket, Shechuk, all those items, the owner has no determination of who gets it. So we don't want the owner making a decision that the Paya goes to his relative. He'll make it Paya whenever he feels like it. Because he can sneak it in when the other Aniim are not around. So that's number one. So that's why we don't want Gezel Aniim, because he'll be, make a decision about who goes to. The Nima got to sit around all day and figure out when he's going to leave the payah from his field. He has a huge field to harvest. How are they going to know when? They have to wait. They got to wait. They wait, and it's not worth. They're going to waste their time waiting around. If they know it's the end of the field, they know to show up when it's towards the end. Maybe he would have left his payah earlier. He left it early on, and now it's gone. And people see him harvesting the field to its end, and they won't know that he already gave payah. So people are going to curse this guy who didn't give payah, but he gave it earlier. So here we made it that it's at the end of the field, so everybody knows when you give payah. It's not a question. And you may not. The whole reason here is you may not wipe out the end of your field. Wiping out means the end. So isn't the whole reason for all of this because it's the end of the field? So It's to get around the cheats. Because those that cheat, what are they going to say? They're going to say that we already left payah. We already did it. And they're not going to leave payah. And they'll come to the end of the field, they'll clean it up. But if we leave payah at the end of the field, we'll always know whether they really left it or not. Because at the end of the field, we'll see whether they leave it. So those are the four reasons that we deal with payah. What you see here is that in Pneashchashad, that we worry about what other people are going to think when we make a decision to make payah at the end of the field. So that people won't think that you didn't give payah. So kashad is important and you have to address it. Okay, it's now, Gemara continues. If you have a lamp that has two mouths that exit it, two people can use that to light their Nerot Chanukah. Rashi says this is a case of a hadrim and a hadrim, where they each want to light independently. This can count as two Chanukiyot, because the lamp has two mouths and each wick is separate and independent. As Rashi says, there's a cover on the top, which allows the oil to drip into the lamp, and then the two wicks are inserted into the lamp with their own mouths. So, Amarova, Mile Kara Shem. And if you fill up a bowl full of oil, they keep up tilot, and you put wicks all around it, kafal of kli, if you turn a kli on top of it on the top, so that each wick is held in place and looks separate, then it's Olalakam Abne Adam. Then many people can use it as a Chanukiyah. If he does not turn a clay upside down on it, then it becomes like a big bonfire. But the field of Chad Nami and Ola doesn't even work for one because all the wicks look like they are joined together in the middle. They're all going to come together. The wicks are going to move or shift and they're going to all come together towards the middle. You can keep the wicks separate and independent of each other. In that case, they can stand as Nerot. But if the wicks are going to mix and float together and come together, then that's going to be considered a midura. So that's the idea of the lamp before. When it has two piyot and a separate mouth that come out, the two wicks will never join each other because they're fixed in place by the mouth and the kisu and the cover on top of it. Then it can be a chanukiah for each independent person and it's clear that there are two people lighting here because you can see the independence of the nerot that are there. Pshitali, simple to me, that ner beito, for ner Chanukah, ner beito adif. When it comes to ner beito, as Rashi explains here, ner beito is ner Shabbat. When it comes to ner Shabbat versus ner Chanukah, ner beito adif. The ner Shabbat trumps. Mishom shalom beito, because of shalom bayit. Shalom bayit trumps everything. Ner beito v'kidush hayom. Comes a question between nerot Shabbat and kidush Shabbat. Wine for kidush Shabbat. Ner beito adif. Ner trumps again, Ner Shabbat trumps again, because of Shalom Beito, because of Shalom Bayit. So of course, the question is, what's the competition between the runners-up for second place? If Ner Shabbat trumps Kiddush Shabbat, and Ner Shabbat trumps Ner Chanukah, what's the din when it comes to Ner Chanukah versus Kiddush Hayom? That's what Rabbi says, Ner Chanukah versus Kiddush Hayom, what's the din? Kiddush Hayom Adif, the Tadir, is Kiddush Hayom first because it's more frequent, because of the fact that it involves Pesumenisa. After he asked the question, he answered the question. comes first because of Pesumenisa. Pesumenisa trumps over here. It's not enough to trump Shalom Bayit, but it is enough to trump Kiddush Hayom. 
Therefore, the hierarchy will be Nerot Shabbat because of Shalom Bayit, Nerot Chanukah because of Perut Sumei Nisa, and then Kiddush Hayom, which is Tadir. So it'll be the hierarchy in terms of a person's affordability. If he can only buy one of those items or some of those items, that'll be the order in which he should purchase them. We'll come back to discuss Nerot Shabbat, one of the main sugyot about the reasons for lighting Nerot on Shabbat. Here it seems to be because of Shalom Bayit. We're going to see a Gemara later on that Nerot Shabbat Chobah will defer the discussion about discussing why we light Nerot Shabbat till Daf Chafhei, where we get the other part of the sugyo about Nerot Shabbat. So Tosvo points out over here that the Gemara's conclusion that Nerot Chanukah get precedence because of Pirsume Nisa, Tosvo applies that to the Haftorah. When it falls out, Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh Tevet, on Chanukah, then we have to lane for three different areas. We obviously have to lane for the week, Shabbat. We have to lane for Rosh Chodesh, and we have to lane for Chanukah. Which one comes first? Do you lane for Rosh Chodesh first, or do you lane for Chanukah first? So tell us what it says over here, that according to the Gemara, Gemara here is talking about a choice between Pesumi Nisa and Tadir. It's a choice between Pesumi Nisa and Tadir, you would pick Pesumi Nisa. But what happens if you can accomplish both? Which is what's going to happen on Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, Tevet, and Chanukah. We're going to lane both. We're going to lane for Chanukah and for Rosh Chodesh. Over there, Tosvot says, Tadir comes first. Because since we can accomplish both, Tadir will come first. And that's why we lane Rosh Chodesh as the seventh Aliyah. And that's why we lane Chanukah as the Machtir, because Rosh Chodesh gets precedence. That's one answer of Tosvot. Number two, maybe that's not true. Maybe even in the face of Tadir and Pesumi Nisa, Pesumi Nisa would trump. Even if you can do both. But what is the bigger Pesumi Nisa? The bigger Pesumi Nisa is the Torah. So the Torah you want to make from Chanukah. The only way to make the Torah from Chanukah is to have the Maftir be from Chanukah. So the reason that we lay the Maftir, we lay Chanukah after Rosh Chodesh is not because Rosh Chodesh really takes precedence. It's because we want the Torah to be a Pesumi Nisa. And therefore we make Maftir into Chanukah. But ain't no Chanami. If it was just the choice between Pesumi Nisa and Tadir, Pesumi Nisa would go first and Tadir would go second. So those are the two answers of Tosafot. One is that the Pursume Nisa is really in the Torah, and that's why we lay Rosh Chodesh first, and then Chanukah second, in order to make the Torah for Chanukah. Or the answer is Eino Chanami, that when it comes between Tadir and Pursume Nisa, Tadir comes first, and that's why we lay Rosh Chodesh first, but that's because we can accomplish both. Our Gemara is being made a case where you can't accomplish both, and there Pursume Nisa trumps. Amar Ravuna, Haragil Bener, Avilan Banim, Tamidei Chachamim. Someone who lights his candles on a regular basis, they will have Banim, children that are Tamidei Chachamim. He's here as a mezuzah, someone who keeps the mitzvah mezuzah, zocher na'ah. He will get a beautiful house. As a tzitzit, one who keeps the mitzvah tzitzit, zocher talit na'ah. Then he will get a beautiful talit. Hazayir b'kidu shayom. Someone who's careful about kidu shayom. Zocheh umemaleh garbei yayin. He'll have plenty of wine. So the question that's raised by the Rishonim here is, which ner are we talking about here? Rogil b'ner, having the banim, tamidei chachamim, the two possibilities. I said this again in the Gemara here. It's in unclear many times we're talking about Ner Shabbat or Ner Chanukah. So over here, Rashi says it's talking about both Ner Shabbat and Ner Chanukah. There are Rishonim in each direction. There are some Rishonim that say it's all about Shabbat, some Rishonim that say it's about Ner Chanukah. I wanted to suggest that there's a proof here that it's talking about Ner Shabbat because if you look at each of the items in the list here, it says that the mitzvah which is a chovah on the item. So for instance here by mezuzah. Mezuzah is a chovah radar. If you have a house, you have to put up a mezuzah. So someone who is makpid to do the mitzvah looks at the house as a hefshir mitzvah to put up mezuzah. So therefore he mezuzah is the ikar. Then he will get a beautiful home. The result of the reward for doing the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. Because if you makpid on the mitzvah mezuzah, you get a bigger house which you put on a mezuzah on. That's true in all these items. Tzitzit. If you makpid on the mitzvah tzitzit, you get a bigger bag and you put tzitzit on. You have a beautiful bag and you put tzitzit on. It's true in each of these items, and the first one should be true too. Which is that, There has to be a connection between the mitzvah and the reward. Which is that by Shabbat, the reason that you like Nerot Shabbat is for Shalom Bayit. And the reason that Shalom Bayit is the Nerot. Shalom Bayit is so that all the members of the household can see and interact properly. So then the reward is, That you have more children, and more children that are Tamidei Chachamim. So that's the idea of Shalom Bayit. And you could argue that it's talking about Mahadrin and Mahadrin, and that if you have more children, then you'll be able to light more candles, because there will be more individuals in the house, and therefore there will be more Nerot Chanukah. Although we know that the mitzvah near Chanukah, the core mitzvah is near Ishu Beito, and therefore it may not necessarily be correlated, unless you say that Aragel Bener here means that Aragel to do near Mahadrin and Mahadrin.
My brother-in-law wanted to suggest that it really has to do with Hanukkah, because of the same reason that I argued it had to do with Shabbat, is it has to do with Ner Hanukkah. Until now we discussed this tension between Nerot Hanukkah being a Chobat Gavra or Chobat Adar, Chobat Abayit. In the end, the truth is that it's neither. It's neither Chobat Gavra nor Chobat Abayit, and it's both. It's both Chobat Gavra and Chobat Abayit. It sits somewhere in between, and the way to express that is that it's really a Chobat Hamishpacha. It's a Chobat, an obligation of the family to ensure that the house has a candle lit by it. And this is also echoed in a tshuva by Rav Shlomo Zalman says something of a similar sort, similar nature. If nobody's at home, nobody lives in the house, it's an unoccupied house, it's clear that you don't have to light candles there. So that can't be a chobat adar. On the other hand, it can't be a chobat agavra, because we saw before in Aksanai, when the husband's away and his wife lights for him, that he doesn't have to light. So it can't be a chobat agavra. There it sounds more like a chobat abayit. The answer, truthfully, is that it's a chobat amishpacha. It's an obligation on the entire family to ensure that there are candles lit in their house, where they reside. The example that my brother-in-law brings is from the dinner of Yibum. But the dinner of Yibum, if there are multiple brothers that can perform the Yibum here, and one of the brothers goes ahead and marries the woman and accomplishes the mitzvah of Yibum, then the Gemara terms it as, Iu shlichuta da'achim ka'avid. He is the representative or the emissary of all of the brothers. So over there, when the first brother died, and the surviving brothers are obligated in Yibum, the obligation devolves upon all of them equally. They're all obligated to perform the mitzvah of Yibum. As long as one of them does it, he can discharge the obligation on behalf of all of them. So it's what's called a collective chiyuv. There's a collective obligation to ensure that this brother's wife has Yibum performed with her. As soon as one of the brothers does it, all the other brothers have accomplished that mitzvah because it's a collective mitzvah on them. So my brother wants to suggest it's the same thing by Nerut Chanukah. The obligations on the household, on the mishpacha, to ensure that the candles are lit in the house. That can be discharged by any person in the household. So yes, it's a chovat abayit, but it's a chovat that the mishpacha, that the family, a collective obligation on the family to ensure that the candles are lit in their residence. And so therefore it's both a chovat gavra, a gavra in the sense that it's a collective obligation on all the individuals of the household to ensure that it's lit in their house. And that's why when the husband's away and the wife lights it, then the wife has discharged the collective obligation of the family. And Rosh Lomu Zalman in his chubot also expresses it in a similar manner by saying this, not because he's their emissary. The obligation is just on one of the household. And the others are discharged automatically. Even if the man and woman is in another country. This is a question that I raised before. What happens if the husband is in America and the wife is lighting here? When she lights candles here, he's not obligated in the lighting yet. Okay, It's still morning by him. There's still Yotze, the mitzvah and the bayit, because it's an obligation on the family to ensure that there's something lit in their house. When the wife discharges that obligation, the husband now is patur. The obligation's on the household as a whole, and any person who discharges the obligation then frees the others from that obligation. And it's what's called chovat ha-mishpacha. Now bringing it back to our Gemara over here, therefore, ragil maner ha-gilin ba'anim tamir chachamim is exactly this. A person who is makbid in Ne'er Chanukah, Ne'er Chanukah is a mitzvah mishpocha. It's a mitzvah mishpocha, avilan banim tamir chachamim. Then you're rewarded with a greater or bigger mishpocha. So the same reason that I thought that that was a rayo that it should be for Shalom Bayit and a mitzvah of Ne'er Chanukah near Shabbat, the brother suggests that it's also for Ne'er Chanukah because Ne'er Chanukah does follow focus on the mishpocha. Nagra used to pass by the on a regular basis the house of Rabbi Avin the carpenter. He saw that he had many lights, many candles there. Tosa photo here says Perish The husband and the wife had them. Now it seems to be there that they're talking about Nero Shabbat over here, but although again it's not clear whether they're talking about Nero Shabbat or Nero Chanukah. Here it sounds more like it's Nero Shabbat, because it sounds it happened on a regular basis that he passed by there, which would also indicate that the Nero that we start at the beginning of the Sugyo, that a regular is talking about Nero Shabbat. Amar, Shrey, Gravre, Ravrave, Nafke, Mehochi. He says, two great people are going to come out of here. I would suggest in Tosafot that because the husband and wife lit, therefore they would have two Tomei Chachamim. Nafke, Minayu, Ravidi, Ba'avin, Ravchaya, Ba'avin. 
Rashi brings two interpretations down, whether that's his father's house or Chamiv, his father-in-law's house from the word Nisuin. When the Rebbeinu Tam suggests that it's something about the house of his father who had already passed away. Of Rav Shizvi is either his father or father-in-law. His father had passed away or his father-in-law. So they lit many candles there. He says a great person is going to come from here. Rav Shizvi was the one that came out. Where the wife of Rav Yosef used to delay in lighting the candles. Rav Yosef in the Midbar, when Hashem provided the Anan for the B'nai Israel and the Amud Eish for B'nai Israel, it says that was there never a time where none of them were there. That means that the Amud Anan would come before the Amud Eish left. And the Amud Eish would come at night before the Anan left. So therefore, what he's indicating is that it's clear that the Amud Eish, which represents the fire or the light of night, came while it was still daytime. So, so over here, you shouldn't be lighting so late in the day. You should be lighting when it's still daytime, just like by in the Midbar. Hashem brought the Eish for the light at night before the day was over. So then, Savra uh, Duma, she wanted to make it earlier, very early. If that's the case, let's light much earlier in the day. You can't make it too early, and you can't make it too late. I mean, that's just at the right time. Can't be too early in the day, because when you light it by Oriyom Gadol, it's not clear that you do it the cover the Shabbat. That's what Rashi says. It's Ein Minkurashi Shabbat. It's not clear that you're doing it the Shem Shabbat. Can't do it too late, because you run into problems of Shkia, you run into problems of Shabbat, you also run into problems that it seems like the Nair should be already ready before the day ends, like it was by the Eish in the Midbar before the Anand left. That all assumes that we're talking about here, the issue of Allah and Nairot Shabbat. You're arguing that this time at Allah and Nairot Chanukah, then the meaning would be that you have to do it before it's dark out, because that's a clear indication that you're lighting the lights not for your own use or for light, or light them specifically for Nairot Chanukah. But if you light them too early in the day, they have no meaning, they have no shaykhul to the night, and therefore they're not connected to Nairot Chanukah. So you could argue that this sugi is talking about whether it's talking about Chanukah or Nairot Shabbat, that it has meaning. Someone who loves Rabbanon will have children that are Rabbanon. Someone who gives kavod to Rabbanon, someone who gives kavod, gives respect to the Chachamim, he will have son-in-laws that are Rabbanon. The Dachami Rabbanon, someone who has fears, has awe of the Chachamim, who he himself will become a Tzubi the Rabbanon. Bila Barhochi, who? If he's not capable, or he doesn't learn so much, so he won't be a Tzubi Rabbanan. His words will be heard like that of a Tzubi Rabbanan, that people will listen to him and pay heed to him. Now the Groh does change around the Girsa here and says that it should be that Dachil Midir Rabbanan, the one who fears Rabbanan, has son-in-laws that are Rabbanan, and the Bokir, the one who gives Kavod to Rabbanan, he himself will be a Rabbanan. So now the Gemara continues from the Mishnah, Velo B'Shem and Tzreifah. One may not light with Shem and Tzreifah. My Shem and Tzreifah. What is Shem and Tzreifah? Amar Abba, Shem and Shel Chumah, Shenit Me'ah. It's Chumah that becomes Tmei'ah. Chumah Tmei'ah must be burnt, must be used up. Now, there is a din when you burn up the Shem and Chumah, you can get Hanah from it, you can get benefit from it. So my Karole Shem and Tzreifah. Why are they called Shem and Tzreifah? It's Shem and Chumah Tmei'ah. Hold the Tzreifah, mate. Because it has to be burnt. You have to get rid of it so people won't come to a takala to use it, to eat it, because it's a sort to be eaten because it's meah. And when you light it, you can get the benefit of its light. With Shabbat, my time alone, so why can't you use it for Nero Shabbat? If you're allowed to get benefit, allowed to let light from it, why can't you use it for Nero Shabbat? Because since it's a mitzvah to burn it up, to make sure there's no takala, then maybe you'll tip it to ensure that it's burnt out completely. That's the case. And in Yom Tov, you should be able to use Shem and Tzreifa. The problem here is Shem Shemiyate is not a problem in Yom Tov. She should be able to burn Shem and Tzreifa for your candles on Yom Tov. So Allah we have a Mishnah. So explicitly, you can't use Shem and Tzreifa not only on Shabbat, you can't use it on Yom Tov. The answer is that it's Yom Tov Atu Shabbat. In Ochanami, on Yom Tov, it would have been Mutar. So it's a Gzeira on Yom Tov, so that people don't use it on Shabbat as well. Rav Chizda Amar, the Shemayate, lo yichayshinan. Rav Chizda says, no, 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 that's not the whole reason here. The reason here is not Shemayate, maybe you'll come to tilt it. What's the reason? Al-Hochbi Yom Tov, Shechal Yom Tov, Erev Shabbat, Askinan. Yom Tov falls out on Erev Shabbat, the fish ain't sofrim kodshim bi Yom Tov. 
Because you cannot burn Kodshim on Yom Tov. There's a restriction against burning Kodshim on Yom Tov because that's not Surah Ochel Nefesh. Therefore, you may not burn Kodoshim on Yom Tov itself. And here, Chuma has a din in Kodoshim, so Chuma Tmeya, you may not burn on Yom Tov. That's talking about Yom Tov. That's talking about Shabbat. Is la b'yom tov as kinyan? Remember that erev Shabbat that falls on a yom tov, and then both cases are the same thing. It's a din in yom tov. So mechinia misura matam kamar. It's really explaining the ratio. Matam even kinyan shem tzvayiv b'yom tov. Why can't you light on yom tov with shem tzvayiv? Because you answer from kodeshim b'yom tov. Because you cannot burn kodeshim b'yom tov. So the reason that we don't allow you to light shem tzvayiv is because sometimes yom tov will fall on erev Shabbat, and then you won't be able to burn them on that day because it's isur of burning. Kodshim and Yom Tov, and that's the second Mishnah. The first Mishnah is telling us, don't do it on Arab Shabbat, that is Yom Tov. Why not? Because the second Mishnah, you're not allowed to light on Yom Tov at all, Shem and Shreifa, because it's burning Kodshim and Yom Tov, which is restricted. Tanya Kabote, Rav Chistri, Rav Breit, that supports the understanding of Rav Chistri and this Gemara. Anything that it says here, you can't light with them on Shabbat, you're allowed to light with them on Yom Tov, because the Chashash of Shem Yatet does not apply to Yom Tov. Chutz, Shem Yatet doesn't apply to Yom Tov, or if we're worried about extinguishing, that doesn't apply to Yom Tov, because you can have other candles, you can relight the fire. You have ways to deal with it on Yom Tov, on Shabbat you don't have ways to deal with it. Chutz, the exception that is with Shem Yatet, the Shem Yatet, the Shem Yatet, the Shem just like it's a surah on Shabbat, it's a surah to be used on Yom Tov, because you're not allowed to burn Kodshim on Yom Tov, which supports the understanding of Rechista. Okay, we'll stop over here.